Hi, everybody. Dennis Prager, Fireside Chat number 243. I'm cheating. I asked the Megan to begin with. There is no auto in the auto bed. And there's a reason. Otto uh, is uh, underwent a surgery today. It, it's not. Uh, it's necessary. He was on his leg, but it's not serious. He's fine, but he needed the surgery. So we tried to have Snoopy in his bed, and no matter how much I placed a moral imperative into him, it had no impact. What are you going to do? But normally there is a wonderful America and world famous bulldog in there named Otto. Hopefully he'll be back. Yeah, I, I, th I should think he would be in bed next week. That's the hope. Anyway, hi, everybody. I'm Dennis Prager. The Fireside Chat is an opportunity to talk to you about what's on my mind. It's completely unrehearsed. And I also take questions from you. So let me begin with something Megan, the possessor of America's most famous arm, which you will now see again. Now, may I say that the second I saw this, what was this on a, uh, a tweet? On a tweet, somebody tweeted it out. Mm -hmm. So somebody train. somebody took a picture of this sign in an Uber, right? So, okay, you, you could see it on screen. So, dear passenger, exclamation point, please do not ask me where are you from? Question. The where are you from conversation makes me sick, frustrated, and uncomfortable. Thanks for your understanding. Now, let me say that the level of contempt I have for this message is so great that I have to control myself in fact, I think it's so stupid and so narcissistic and mean, I might add, and it's all, it's mean, that I, I find it almost hard to believe that it's a real picture. But it's hard to imagine somebody made it up as well. It, 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 it does appear to be hanging from something. And let's put it this way. Well, somebody put it up. I won't even say her name, but a person... I think she's a journalist. Oh, really? A journalist? Oh, that would figure. Journalism does not get the healthiest, brightest, and deepest. Mm -hmm. So this woman put it up. She has a, an, an, a South Asian name. Seen in today's Uber, thinking of making a duplicate to hang around my neck. So... Turns out that the woman who, re who retweeted, or actually didn't retweet, who tweeted the picture of this Uber sign is actually a journalist, which is not shocking. It's not an impressive crowd. They're not deep. It's a largely very shallow group. It, it wasn't always that way. Many years ago, journalist meant a person who actually believed that their job was to report news, that we were not as interested in their opinions as they are. We were interested in, in what is happening. But in any event, she's with the Washington Post, New York Times, or she's written for, and here's the, here's the kicker. Megan discovered that on her website, 
It says, born in India, raised in Canada. So her, the first thing she tells you about herself is that she was not born in North America. But if you ask her, where are you from? She finds you noxious. This is the level of people writing in, in, in our mainstream, quote unquote, progressive media. Progressive, I've, I've always felt that progressive and narcissism were very much related. This is a great example. I really have contempt for this message. There is nothing more human than saying to somebody who has an accent or who has a foreign sounding name, where are you from? It means you're actually interested in them. When I have been to 130 countries, you know how often I have been asked in any of those countries, where are you from? In every single one of the countries. That is the most rational, logical, human question one would ask someone who differs in look, accent, or name, or all three, from the majority indigenous population. Correct? Correct. So how do you explain that foolish Uber driver and this foolish journalist? How is one to explain them? And here is my answer. They have been raised to find offense. O-F-F-E-N-S-E, not A-F-E-N-C-E. <laughs> not to find a fence to climb or jump over, but to find offense. They're offended with great ease. This is a characteristic of the left. You should be offended no matter whether an offense has been intended or not, you are to be offended. That's what microaggressions are. The University of California has a long list of microaggressions that if you say uh, there's only one race, the human race, that is somehow or other racist, even though it's the antithesis of racism, or I'm colorblind is called racist. It is the antithesis of racism to be colorblind or to attempt to be colorblind. <laughs> this, this, there is no more classic example of the, the lack of reason, the irrationality that pervades left-wing ideas than this. The, the, the alleged offensiveness of asking somebody, where are you from? Of course, I do it all the time. I intend to continue doing it. Because my assumption is if the left opposes something, it's probably a good thing. Not always true, of course. I mean, if they really oppose it, as opposed to make-believe. They say they oppose racism, but there's no racism like left-wing racism. They, they, they believe in all black dormitories on college campuses, all black graduations on college campuses. That's racist. I'm offended. I mean, th this, this sign is a joke. Where are you from conversation makes me sick, frustrated, and uncomfortable. I, I will say, if I entered an Uber where that was the sign, I, I would leave the car. And I suggest that you do the same because you are with a, 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 a psychologically unwell uh, individual whose moral compass is broken and you may not want to say anything to that person and that's an uncomfortable trip. I 
I love asking, where are you from? A, it tells me something not insignificant about the person. B, I love doing it for my own reasons. There's a very good chance I was in their country. And I love then talking about, oh, you are from Benin, which most people never heard of. It's a country in West Africa. Well, and then the guy goes, you've been to Benin? Because they never even say Benin, or, or they will say, I'm from West Africa. But then I will say, what country? Or if, if they say they're from Iran, I have a very funny phrase that I can say in Farsi, the, the Persian language. It's the only thing I can say in Farsi. Let's all go study with the Ayatollah. And I say it perfectly, and it cracks them up. And, and it, it's a great conversation starter. Or, or that I've been to Iran. Uh, why would you not want that acknowledged? What is, what is human? Hey, it's a, you know, it's a pretty warm day out. Oh, that, that's, a real, that's a real deep conversation. It betrays another aspect of, of the left. It, a fear of reality. Let's talk about the weather is, is not about reality, even though the weather is real, obviously. Real is where are you from? I, I, I ask, if I'm talking to an Uber driver, I usually rent a car, but if I am talking to an Uber driver, uh, I, I want it to be real. I, I don't want to talk about the weather. Uh, the, I, the, we, neither of us has anything important to say about it. But I, I will, for example, where are you from? Uh, what age did you come here? Uh, did you? Did you learn, where did you learn English at your, in your native country or here? Because it's impressive that we can talk in this. I often compliment them. This is real. This is actual talk. Do you have a family? Is it wrong to ask that? That a guy would put up or a woman would put up? Where are you from conversation makes me sick, frustrated, and uncomfortable. By the way, isn't it interesting that I assume that this person's on the left? Isn't that in and of itself telling? Is there a single one of the many hundreds of thousands of you watching this right now or listening to this right now who even entertained the possibility that this person is a conservative? That, that in and of itself is a giveaway that there is something profoundly pathologic on the left. And I mean the left, I don't, I don't, I mean, you know, woke, what we call woke left or left, not liberal, but, but left makes me sick and uncomfortable. I could think of things that make me sick and uncomfortable, but they're really sickening and discomforting, like the invasion of Ukraine. <laughs> that, that, that's sickening. Where are you from makes you sick and uncomfortable. So this brings up a related topic that has nothing to do with politics. And I, I think that I've mentioned this. I think. I'm not at all certain. You might, you might remember. We choose when to be offended. Have I spoken about that? I, I think that's the title of a fireside chat. The title of a fireside chat? Really? Well, of course, obviously, it's, it's worth reviewing things. If we're up to 240, whatever it is, we're talking five years of nearly five years of this. But that, that's a very important point. You choose. In fact, 
the one freedom we have, read Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. After the Bible, it's the book that most influenced me. This man came up with many brilliant insights in this short, powerful book. One of them is we really ultimately only have one freedom. And he learned this as a, as a Jew, as an Austrian Jewish psychoanalyst in, in a Nazi concentration camp. He said, we didn't have any freedom, not, not, not when to relieve ourselves, not w- whether we would die or live one more day. There was only one freedom the Nazis could not take away from us. This made such an impact on me. How we react. That is your freedom. We're not free with regard to what happens to us in life. The only real freedom we have is the way in which we react to what happens. The the psychopathology of the left is that they, they don't believe you have that freedom. You are to be guided by what they tell you to be guided by. This person learned to be offended. This journalist... Who, who tweeted this sign, learned to be offended. She goes through life like that. I'm sure she's constantly aware of the misogyny in her workplace. A term I use because they use it. I don't believe there's misogyny, female hatred in her workplace. But if you want to go through life offended, as... Uh, as Nietzsche put it and cited in uh, um, Douglas, uh, we had him on the show. What is uh, Douglas Murray? Douglas Murray's brilliant book, The War on the West. The root of evil is resentment. That is why there is evil that comes from the left, from the woke the destruction of people's lives, the destruction of freedom, because it's the world of resentment. This, this sign in the Uber car is, is resentment. This journalist who tweeted it lives and bathes in the world of resentment. The irony is there's so little to resent in, in, in America and in many other countries. They have chosen to resent. It's a big, it's a big deal. All right, let's go to our question. Swipe your finger. Which way? Uh, up. No, no. Oh uh, yeah, he came up. Oh, okay. Oh, do, do, do I know my iPads? Hey Dennis, Josh Brumfield, 25 years old, Kansas City, Missouri. Um, it seems to me that uh, rather than developing an identity. Uh, kids nowadays are sort of selecting a preset identity from a catalog of choices. Um, they can find online or uh, in the media or at school. I want to know, how do you think we got to this point? Yes, it's a good question, Josh. I thank you for it. What the what the progressive crowd or the left has done is deprived people of of healthy identities and has given them unhealthy identities. 
see, most people cannot go through life without an identity beyond I'm Dennis or I'm Josh. That is important, very important. You are you, you are an individual, and that is extremely important. But for most people, including me, and I have a very strong sense of self, should be obvious. Nevertheless, I thrived uh, as a young person in particular with at least two huge identities, American and Jew. They were both central to my life. And they, they gave me a great sense of belonging, identity, meaning, you name it. In fact, both were so strong. In my 30s, I was invited by a, an Israeli-American group in Los Angeles. They asked me would I appear before them. And I said, I will and, uh, under one condition. They wanted to interview me publicly. And I said, what? and they said, what's the condition? I said that you interview me in Hebrew because I love speaking Hebrew and I love practicing it. And the guy was, you speak Hebrew? I said, yes, you'll see I speak Hebrew. Well, I do. So it was an interesting thing. He, one of the questions in the very beginning, or maybe the first, he asked me, are you first an American or a Jew? And I came up with an answer in, on the spot, which has been my answer all of my life. I have two fathers, Abraham and George Washington. And that was so rich in my life, this having two fathers, if you will, being a member of two peoples that I, I treasured and still do. And I, I was very lucky. The, the Jew was primarily a, a religious identity and the national identity was primarily American, though there's a national aspect to being a Jew as well. But nevertheless, that is the way it worked out. By the way, the vast majority of my fellow Americans had two identities, Christian and American, in a very similar way to my Jew and American. And it was an extremely rich thing to have in their lives, both being so meaningful to them. The left shatters both by definition. It can't stand if you have a religious identity. Religion is for idiots. And it, it can't stand if you have a national identity. Nationalism is for fascists. So, so both identities, national and religious, have been obliterated for a vast number of Americans. And the younger the American, the less likely they will have either identity as a strong thing in their life. So what has the left done? It has substituted race for nation and religion. But race is meaningless. Nation is not. Religion is not. Race is so it's a very unfulfilling thing. What are you? You name it. So you're black. That, that, so your color gives you meaning? But what if you're half white and half black? What if you're one quarter black? What if you're four quarters black? Are you, are you black uh, and you immigrated from Africa in the last 20 years? Are you black and your ancestors were slaves in, the, in, in, in America? 
I mean, they're, they, they're not exactly similar groups. In fact, they have virtually nothing in common except skin color. But so what? I have the same skin color as Vladimir Putin. We don't have much in common. It's meaningless to have color as an identity. It is meaningless. In fact, it's pure racism. It's the purest form of racism. So that's been shattered. And even that you're a male or a female has been shattered. Now, I didn't walk around thinking, oh, I'm a male, just I'm, I'm an American, I'm a Jew, and I'm a male. However, when I look back at it, at these formative years, because you're asking about young people, it was, it, it was obviously important to me that I was male, and uh, it, it was a very exciting part of my life because I was very interested in females. And that same held true for females of my age. They were excited by males. But it, it, it isn't the same, obviously, as, as nation or religion. But now even that's been shattered. Oh, you're not a male or female. You're whatever you choose to be. That's, uh, that's not quite the same as nature or God made me male or nature or God made me a female. And, and what do I do with it? Each sex has its issues. But for almost no one in history has the issue been, I'm really not what I was born. There's so much pathology today, it's, it's, it's hard to know where to begin. So that's why I think, Josh, that the people are bereft of a healthy identity. Thank you. All right, Barbara. Ooh, 73. All right. We take, we're, we're not ageist. <laughs> take every age. Hi, Dennis and crew. I look forward to the fireside chats every week. Great. Can you talk about hate? It seems so many people say they hate something or someone and usually can give you no reason why they hate. I learned early on to remove that word from my vocabulary because the emotion comes from fear. So I usually ask myself, what am I afraid of? Well, Barbara, we don't fully agree, which is perfectly fine. I have not removed the word hate from my vocabulary. And I don't know why I would. I hate evil. And guess what? It's my favorite verse in the Bible. Those of you who love God must, it is a command. It's a, the Hebrew is in the command form. Those of you who love God must hate evil. In other words, if you don't hate evil, you don't love God. That's pretty important because it comes from the book that introduced God to the world, the Bible. It's a pretty significant line. Oh, I, there's a lot I hate. I hate torture. I hate rape. I hate murder. I hate larceny, I hate meanness, I hate uh, marshmallows. No, I can't, no, it's not true. I don't hate marshmallows. I don't, I don't enjoy them. But I, that's not, I, I take that back. I don't, I don't, there are no foods I hate. Let's put it that way. Because uh, that would be too strong. I agree. I reserve hate for the moral sphere, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Uh, but you, know, you should definitely hate certain things and, 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 and even certain people. I mean, what are you supposed to feel toward Stalin or Mao or Hitler 
or Pol Pot. Really, what are you supposed to feel? There, there is a place for hate, providing it's, a, it's morally based hate. What we should be opposed to is gratuitous hate. But there is, there is gratuitous hate means meaningless hate, hate for no good reason. But if there's a moral reason, then I think it's appropriate. Okay, 38 years old, Jacob Ray in Raleigh, or Raleigh, North Carolina. Hey, Dennis, I have a 13-year-old daughter. Nearly half of my daughter's friends believe they are LGBT. It has become a regular occurrence for other 13-year-olds to confess they are, quote, in love, unquote, with my daughter. And it's starting to seem like my daughter is becoming more receptive to it. I have no issue with potentially having a gay daughter when she's old enough to understand. My problem is that these 13-year-old girls are being pressured into this behavior. How would you recommend I guide my daughter in this situation? Well, I would take her out of that school, to be honest. I would homeschool her. Uh, This is a very complex uh, subject, one that needs to be addressed honestly and rationally. Uh, I'm very close to Dave Rubin. Dave Rubin is gay. He's married to a man. Uh, My wife and I are extremely close to them. And we're at their home. We've been at their home frequently. They've now moved to Florida. And whenever we go to Florida, we're at their home. And Dave said to me, I don't think I'm I'm betraying a, a confidence. He's very courageous and very open. And his view is, look, I'm gay. I love David. His, his, his husband's a fantastic guy. I, I, I adore both of them. And uh, he said, uh, but I, I readily acknowledge that the ideal is for a man and a woman to marry. Or, or he said, no, no, this is the way he put it. The ideal is for kids to have a mother and father because they're planning to have kids. And that's honest. The ideal is male-female. That's the ideal. Not everybody can live that ideal. I fully, fully acknowledge that and I understand that. And that, that, that li- life is messy. I fully get it. So I love these two guys and I love the fact that he's honest enough to say, look, this is the ideal. Look, I will, I will say readily, the ideal is to stay married to one person your whole life. I've been divorced. I haven't lived the ideal. And so uh, I, the, that a mature person recognizes there's an ideal and then there is the reality of what is possible. Okay, they're not always the same. And, and that, that's, that's the way it is. But if but we can't drop the ideal. So what is happening is your, your daughter, and this is part two, your daughter is at an age where she is much more affected by peers than anything else in life. And her, if, if her uh, peers, female peers are coming on to her, uh, it is not shocking to me that she's receptive. She's not gay. But uh, the female sexual nature, I do believe, it tends towards bisexuality. Society has tried to channel that fact into 
heterosexuality, heteronormativity, as the left calls it disparagingly, which I call it admiringly. So we, we both use the term, but they don't like it, and I do. I think that that, that is the ideal. When I was a kid, 13-year-old girls were starting to be what they called boy crazy. It's not a bad thing. I was girl crazy, and girls were boy crazy. But that's, uh, that now is not accepted as, as, in, as in any way the, the norm to be pursued. And it, I, I think this is a very sad tragic and unhealthy situation your daughter is in. Kaylee, 33, Kansas City. Dear Mr. Prager, how do you personally observe Sabbath? What types of activities would you do or not do? For example, dining out, museums, festivals, travel, driving, going to the movies, etc. My husband and I are Jewish and we were inspired to start observing the Sabbath several months ago after reading your excellent books on Genesis and Exodus. We are amazed by what a wonderful experience this has been, and we are so thankful you helped bring this into our lives. Well, it does give me the, the quick option of telling you those are meant to be the most life-changing things I've, I've written. My commentary on the first five books of the Bible called the Rational Bible, whether you're a Jew, a Christian, or nothing, or another religion. Uh, read the, There are 4,000 reviews on the Rational Bible, two volumes. On Amazon, you'll see how it's touched people's lives. Third volume can be pre-ordered now from Amazon, and it is Deuteronomy, the fifth of the five books. And it's my life's work. And I hope you will read it. As for the Sabbath, so my answering your question specifically, my criterion for what I do or not do, and for those of you who are not Jewish, this may seem a little odd, the question, but traditionally Judaism is a religion of laws. So it says not only that you should observe the Sabbath, but here is what you can and cannot do on the Sabbath. So you cannot work. That's in the Ten Commandments. That's obvious. But can you go to a baseball game? Okay, that would be a great example. In light of that, I would ask you who asked the question and all of you to read. This is the name of my column, Higher Than the Angels. And I wrote this. There are 1,000 of my columns on the Internet. This is one of those that I really felt was important. I think they're all important, otherwise I wouldn't write them. But this is an explanation of why I don't go to a sporting event on the Sabbath. Even though I was offered World Series tickets to my team, which had never been to the World Series, or at least, I, I don't know, it was the playoffs, I think it was. Big playoff game. Anyway, I didn't go, and I explained higher than the Angels. The Angels were the name of the baseball team. Higher than the Angels was that I wouldn't go on the Sabbath to a ball game. Why? Because it has nothing to do with the Sabbath. So my criterion is not, for example, 
Will electricity be used as a criterion for the Orthodox Jews? Uh, But rather, does it make or break Shabbat, the Sabbath? Does it enhance it or not? And that's not for everybody. I deeply appreciate the Orthodox world. But if you're not in it, and most Jews are not, you should still not give up the Sabbath. There are still ways of making this stuff meaningful. And having a Sabbath meal Friday night and Saturday lunch is is life-changing. To be with friends and or relatives, two meals every week like that is extraordinary. When I have non-Jews over Friday nights, which I have done all of my life, uh, is have non-Jews over for my Shabbat dinners, uh, the most common reaction is, do you have this every Friday night? And, And of course, all of us go, yeah, we have this every Friday night. And they're amazed. Basically, what they're amazed at is we have Thanksgiving slash Christmas every Friday night. Not twice a year, but 52 times a year. That's a very, very life-enhancing thing. And of course, I don't, I don't uh, work, so I don't broadcast uh, on the Sabbath for the 24 hours. I, I don't uh, work on the computer. I don't, I don't even read a newspaper because my job is to read newspapers. You can read a newspaper because it's not your job, but I can't. Anyway, oh, I just mentioned Charlie Kirk, uh, the founder of TPUSA, Turning Point USA. We're quite close. And he was telling me, and he said this in front of a group of prominent Christians. And he said, and he's Christian, said, Dennis, I just want you to know I'm, I'm observing Shabbat. And for 24 hours, he doesn't use his cell phone, and he doesn't he doesn't go to work. He said it's changed his life. So, I just want to remind you: you choose when to be offended. It's such an important point. Have a wonderful week, and I'll give you an update on Otto's condition. Hope you hopefully you'll see him at the next Fireside Chat. Until then, be well. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching this video. To help keep PragerU videos free, please consider making a tax-deductible donation.